Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 21st Sunday after Trinity, October 24th, 2021, is preached by seminarian Joe Larson. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Again, it is good to see you all here this morning, and a special welcome to those joining us uh, via the live stream this morning. I ask that you would stand for our sermon text this morning. Our sermon text is taken from the Psalms. Psalm 33, we'll be reading verses 10 through 22. Psalm chapter 33, verses 10 through 22. On your pew Bible, that's page 870. Reading in Jesus' name. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. By its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Lord, this is your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify us in this truth this morning, we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Today's text has pushed me to do something very dangerous. Today, I will be preaching about politics. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to be preaching about the greatness of certain candidates or critiquing specific policies we have. No, there's a general rule to not preach about politics, but despite that, today's text mentions some things that are political, the rule of God and the realities of nations of the world. So I'm not going to offer you my subjective take on the current political situation. I'm pretty young and inexperienced. I don't think that would be very helpful. Uh, nor am I going to show blind loyalty to a political party because, again, that's not helpful. Instead, my views and our views that we hold about the government should be put to the side because there are some objective realities about government that we see in the Word of God today. So with the couple disclaimers out of the way, in case you were worried, I want you to take a look at today's text through a specific lens, through the lens of the end of our own national anthem. In our national anthem, the star-spangled banner, it's described as flying over where? The land of the free and the home of the brave. But when we think about our lives and the state of our nation, don't we seem in many ways to be neither free nor brave? Now, from the outside, it seems like there are more and more enemies of the state each and every day. The government itself is trying to take more power over us as citizens. Beyond that, 
the enemies of our soul are numerous and dead set on our destruction. Now that's just externally. Internally, how often are we bound by fear, doubt, and failure because of our sin? How can a nation with people so often seized by darkness inside and outside be called the land of the free and the home of the brave? Many of the founding fathers, they knew the answer to this question, and they knew that it was found outside of themselves. Today's text, Psalm 33, gives us the refreshing truth that it is the Lord, the true king, who makes his people free and brave. We'll see from today's text that all politics, they're done under the watchful eye of the Lord, the king of the universe. We'll see three important truths about politics. We'll see the Lord's kingship of Israel in past politics. We'll find that salvation only comes from Christ, not the government, not from our own will or works. That is passive politics, and it's going to deal with the kingdom of God, his right-hand kingdom in the church. And then we'll also see the call to use our wisdom and fear of the Lord to carry out justice and righteousness here and now. We will see active politics guided by the word lived out in God's left-hand kingdom, the kingdom of the world. Before we discuss those two kingdoms I brought up in detail, let's take a look at the past politics of Israel. This text shows us that the Lord gave freedom and bravery to the nation of Israel, past politics. And just because it's in the past doesn't mean it mattered only then. Verse 11 reminds us that the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. But if we're not careful when we deal with biblical texts that discuss the nation of Israel, we could end up in trouble. In Scripture, we see that Israel was set apart as God's own people, and they were given a specific purpose. In addition to their setting apart and their missionary purpose, their purpose was the bringing about of the Messiah. Now, the other nations of the Old Testament, they were very active in trying to pull Israel away from the Lord. Idolatry, immorality, and violence were tools in their hands to try to drag Israel away from this covenant. But despite many attempts to stomp out Israel by nations like Babylon or Assyria or Egypt, God was faithful and God preserved his people. Even when in exile, when God has justly judged his people for their idolatry, the Lord still raised up faithful followers. He fulfilled his promises to send his son a savior. The truth about past politics, it lies in this choosing we see in verse 12. No other nation in history can claim this status that Israel had. Not the Holy Roman Empire, not Egypt, not Libya, not Argentina, not America, not even modern Israel. God gave unique promises to Israel, and he worked to carry out and fulfill those promises. Now, dear saints, generally, when a nation turns to the Lord's grace and wisdom, they will be blessed. But don't try and claim a status given to Israel alone. The, old, the, the Lord chose Israel to bring about a savior. It was a unique time where the Lord fought for Israel, both politically and spiritually. The Lord continued to show his faithfulness to Israel in a variety of governments. 
in the patriarchs, or in times of where's a theocracy, monarchies, even in foreign oppression, or just elders and judges, the Lord's promises sustained Israel as a nation, as a people. Israel was chosen as the heritage of the Lord in verse 12. Israel wasn't chosen because they were mighty or because they were great. Israel wasn't chosen because they were pious or because they were holy of their own effort. This choosing, like our choosing, is based entirely on the mercy and will of God. When Israel rebelled against this and tried to save themselves or they looked to other nations for help, it always, always ended poorly. But for the faithful in Israel, those who clung to the promises of God, they had freedom and bravery even in the darkest of times because of God's steadfast love and his promises. We see that God has fulfilled his purposes with Israel. Christ has come. The Messiah has come so that all nations might be part of God's kingdom. But the steadfast love of the Lord and the way he works out his promises in the past reminds us of our trajectory here and now and then moving into the future. We see that because 13 through 19 of our text, the verses there, show us our second point, that the Lord gives freedom and bravery through Christ. Now, the Lord brought many foreigners into the covenant people of Israel in the Old Testament, but often these other nations, they remained outside of his grace and love. They continually rejected the Lord. But every nation, including Israel, still suffered from the consequences of sin. How do we know this? Well, no matter how mighty a nation was, no matter how strong their military was, no matter how great their infrastructure was, their people would eventually die. Every person of every nation from every era needs a hope, a hope beyond our mortal selves. Now, the Lord who's seated in heaven, he's not shocked by the actions of the world and its rulers. He's not surprised when a kingdom rises or a kingdom falls. Instead, as verse 15 notes, the Lord observes. More specifically, he discerns their deeds. This discerning of deeds, it's a critical look. It's a judgment. The Lord is pictured by the word fashions. The word there, fashions, pictures him as a potter who's shaping clay. The Lord is observing how the clay is shaped in his hands. The Lord's working to shape the hearts of men, but we're stubborn. We resist. Instead of allowing the potter to mold us as he will, we want to shape ourselves. God, in this text, he's not unaware of the rebellion of the nations, of those who resist this will. That being said, God's not unaware of your own little rebellion. The perfect and holy king of heaven, he's made everything, he sees everything, and he knows your attempts to neglect his law. He knows your heart's darkest desires. He feels you resist his shaping and recognizes that on your own, what good is clay that resists its maker? You should toss us to the side. Even Israel, when they were chosen by God, they turned time and time again from the potter who was shaping them. God promised judgment when they would do this. He enacted that judgment and they hated him more for being faithful to what he promised. They sought to stand on their own through strength or intelligence or hard work or piety. Now we see some of those good things and go, you know, actually, if I was good enough in one of those ways, I think I'll be okay. 
but that's us as clay, thinking we can pick and choose how to make ourselves free and brave. We think on our own that we know what's best for our families. We know what's best for our nations. We know what's best for our souls. Dear friends, strength, intelligence, hard work, and piety, these are good and wonderful things. But apart from the grace of God, they amount to nothing. We're taken from the same clay as Adam. We're unable to be saved by our own means. Today's psalm shows us that all the king's horses, and literally all the king's men, they cannot put together our sinful, broken hearts again. The psalmist drives us to realize that it's not just military strength that the Lord defeats when he fights. Verse 19 hits on the key problem of mankind. We will die, and our souls, they'll be judged. The potter has no use for clay that's unwilling to be molded. We should be tossed into the darkness, judged as prideful failures. But the psalmist mentions the steadfast love of the Lord in verse 18. This changes the trajectory of the text. This loving kindness of the king changes our story entirely. Instead of tossing out the entire lump of humanity, the potter instead became covered in the clay. The Son of God came in the flesh to deliver to us the passive politics of the right-hand kingdom of God. Instead of a conquering king, as they expected, Jesus came first as a suffering servant. He immersed himself in our messy and unruly clay so that he might save us. He bore the penalty for your sins, for your rebellion, and his death paid the price for our rebellion as a whole. And then... He rose from the grave. He defeated death like no other king ever has or ever will. The triune God worked perfectly in unity so that the nations, the people of all nations, could be called into this marvelous kingdom of light. The potter didn't just shape the clay. The potter suffered for the clay so it might be made into a vessel after his own will. It wasn't the might of men that did this. The clay needed something. It needed the blood of the potter himself. God alone is our hope and our salvation. These passive politics of the right-hand kingdom of God, they're made clear in the gospel, the forgiveness of your sins. The freedom that Christ gives, it's freedom from sin and judgment. The bravery that Christ gives is bravery to come before the throne of grace and to be counted as righteous for Christ's sake. Verse 19, uh, we can picture there's a best fulfillment of these promises here, an eternal fulfillment. He delivers our souls from the second death, and when there's times of famine of his word, his promises sustain us. Now this passive politics, these passive politics I'm talking about, it's the first of the two kingdoms that I mentioned earlier. The church, the primary work of God here is the salvation of us as sinful humanity. In this right-hand kingdom, the word of God is the means by which God delivers his grace to us. The congregation is the kingdom of God because here the gospel is preached, forgiveness is given, and our souls are put at rest. But we often like to stop there. Honestly, I thought about it. It'd be a nice short sermon, just kind of wrap it up there. But This is just one of the kingdoms that God rules. We are saved by grace, through faith, 
and we participate in this right-hand kingdom spiritually. But we're also members of another kingdom, a kingdom that all of humanity is part of. This is the left-hand kingdom that's watched over by the law and the order of human governments. That's how I said I could be preaching about politics today from God's word, because I'm discussing the kingdoms of God. Now, these kingdoms, they're both God's kingdoms, and they will be reunited when Christ comes again. But as one scholar put it, we have to think about these kingdoms and understand them as cooperation without confusion and distinction without divorce. Verses 20 through 22 remind us of life in the world as Christians by showing us a third point, that the Lord will perfect our active freedom and bravery at his return. Verse 21 shows that trusting in the name of the Lord and the perfect work of Christ completely meets our spiritual needs. But verse 20 shows that we as believers wait on the Lord. We wait. And while we wait, we have duties and obligations to our fellow men. God's right-hand kingdom is focused on the atoning work of Christ that covers every individual through faith. Good works have no say here. But in the left-hand kingdom, good works are a necessity because it's our neighbor who benefits from them. Only by understanding our spiritual freedom in Christ can we then be free to use our time and energy to seek freedom and peace for our fellow men. Our nation itself was established on the understanding that God's creation of man gave him privileges and obligations. Now, America doesn't have a specific promise as a nation, but it can benefit from recognizing that the general truth of following God's good order will lead to peace and stability. Knowing that the Lord is king of both the church and the world, it's a tricky thing to consider, especially when it seems that he hides himself more and more. But the freedom and bravery that we're called to display in this left-hand kingdom it is active politics. We sweat, we toil, we bleed to maintain freedom in our nation, freedom for good and not for evil. This is part of the Lord's provision and the plan for generations mentioned in verse 11. God doesn't just love the world through the church. He also loves the world through your hands, your labor, through the hands of our leaders and governments, through the hands of anyone who serves on behalf of their families and those near to them. Every vocation we find ourselves in is a way in which God blesses our neighbor. Take, for example, programs like VEEP that serve the needy in our community. We might disagree on the best way to run them or the best way to collect funds, the best way to distribute it. But the workers at VEEP and your own hands that have delivered countless amounts of food to the needy, they are evidence of the Lord's mercy at work in this left-hand kingdom. Our nation's fight against tyranny or slavery or oppression, these are noble things that the Lord empowers. Our faith doesn't cause us to step away and shelter ourselves away from the world. Instead, we are emboldened by the sure promises of the gospel to go out and love well in the left-hand kingdom. God's gift in this kingdom includes order, the government, and his law. The application to this call to serve faithfully begins locally for both kingdoms. In the right-hand kingdom, you're here. You're called here to hear the word of God, to share forgiveness with your fellow congregation members. You're to be concerned with the salvation of souls, ensure that Christ has died for you. 
Your spiritual gifts are to be used to advance this kingdom of grace. But in this left-hand kingdom, you're called to work hard for your family and community to bring about justice and peace. You're to be concerned about good order. You're to look for your neighbors whose needs you can see and needs you can meet. Your practical gifts and skills and talents are to be used to advance the prosperity and peace of this nation and every member in it. It's really tempting with this to be vague and general, especially being in seminary. It's kind of nice to like, okay, I kind of got the concept, la-di-da, move on. But we have to fight that urge because the Lord who rules everywhere rules specifically here and calls you to live and love specifically where you are. We might lament the direction our nation is going. The answer isn't to give up, to run away. You are called to carry out God's goodwill right where you are. It's a little ironic that I'm preaching this to you all because you have been examples to me of how to love in the congregation, of how to love in the community. But being up here, talking about the word of God, it's my job to remind you that this is continual. This service never ends. Day after day, week after week, year after year, you're called to serve faithfully as a member of these two kingdoms of God. The passive politics of the right-hand kingdom, they've been made clear already. You're here, aren't you? Receiving the word of God, being assured of your faith, and you're to seek to pass this on to your children and your neighbors. But the active politics of the left-hand kingdom, that's where things get a little more tricky. The rubber meets the road. You have to ask questions like, do my neighbors, not just those that I know, but do my neighbors have enough to eat? Is my school equipped to teach our children fundamentals and critical thinking without throwing in agendas after agenda? Finding answers to these questions and acting on them is practicing politics because you're serving the king by loving his people, even the people who haven't been brought into this right-hand kingdom yet. This is how verse 19 is enacted in a physical sense, God feeding mankind, not in the spiritual sense, but with bread and with meat and with water. Dear saints, God has given you his word and his wisdom to not only navigate the spiritual conflicts that arise in the right-hand kingdom, but also he's given you his wisdom to navigate the conflicts that arise in his left-hand kingdom. Is there something troubling you about the school system? Well, find the public comment time. Head to the school board meetings to love your neighbor by speaking the truth in love. Now, there, you're a servant of the king, so you're to be respectful and honest and to care for the reputation of others. You should also be encouraging those who labor in this difficult field of work for the sake of our children. But you have to be clear in discussion, and you have to discuss what is actually beneficial for the students and the teachers. You have troubles with your city or your neighborhood. Well, in the right-hand kingdom, as we did before, we pray for our mayor, we pray for our governors, we pray for our city councils, in the left-hand kingdom, we can submit topics for their discussion. We can be active in the times where they're able to voice concerns and ideas. The same goes for any of those above us, like our fourth judicial district, our governor, our president, or our congressmen and women. We are free to seek justice by considering the values of political candidates and voting so that we can bring about prosperity and peace for our nation, and even the nations we interact with. 
We're free to encourage our children to pursue careers as lawyers, judges, soldiers, and even politicians. Politicians, not for greedy gain, but so that they can bring about the good gift of order that God gives and reflect it in our nation. (laughs) That, that, That last one especially, that's not an easy task to train them for that kind of work. But we have the bravery to do what must be done because we know the king of heaven rules over all the nations. It's only because of the sureness of God's promises here that we can be brave going out as Americans here. Because places like Romans 13 show us that God has established governments, we can seek their welfare spiritually and physically. We can praise God for the many that have fought for freedom in our country and at the same time thank them and meet their needs when they return home from service or meet the needs of those who serve locally. We can be ambassadors for the king of the universe through, get this, political discourse. We can serve the Lord through political discourse that seeks to find constructive answers to problems, not just mudslinging and name-calling. We can use our freedom for good and not for selfish gain because the potter who has redeemed us shapes us day by day into useful vessels that proclaim justice and mercy to a world that has no idea that the king is coming again. If you're still unsure a little bit about this distinction of the two kingdoms, think about the Lord's Prayer that we'll pray here in a few minutes. We ask for our spiritual needs because we ask for forgiveness. We ask for our physical needs because we ask for daily bread. Now, in some ways, the Lord works passively in both. He sets the time and the season so that things can grow. And primarily, he works to deliver the forgiveness of sins, apart from our works, and apart from works of anyone else. He might use us to declare that forgiveness to you, correct? But in the daily bread, yes, there are times and seasons and seed and harvest, but he works mostly through the labor and the toil of our farmers, of our truck drivers, of our bakers, and our grocers. God be praised that he gives us both gifts perfectly. Psalm 33 is a political psalm, not because it mentions Republicans or Democrats, but because it shows the king who has power and who rules over his two kingdoms that we dwell in simultaneously. You might have to dwell further on this distinction. And Bible college students, I know you'll dwell further on this distinction, and that's a good thing. Because we need to find clarity and not confuse what God has done perfectly for us in Christ and what we're called to do for our neighbor and their needs. As we wrap up our consideration of this psalm, remember that the past politics of the kingdom of Israel I mentioned, that gave us a foundation to avoid misunderstanding our nation and its status. But it also gave us the sureness of God's promises and his purposes in sending the Messiah so that all nations of the world could be saved. From this, we saw that Christ makes us free and brave by bringing us into his right-hand kingdom through faith in his work for us. Because Jesus died for you, you too can find comfort in knowing that the Lord, through faith, is, as the text says, your help and your shield. Finally, we can recognize that though he's hidden, God is still king over the rulers of the world and calls us to serve well. Whatever form this takes in your day-to-day life, we're to fight hard so there's peace and order in our land of the free and our home of the brave. In all this, we're waiting. We're waiting for the day where the Lord will return, and 
he's going to unify these two kingdoms. We won't have to worry about distinctions because we will see how the Lord is king of everything. The struggles that we have in being free and brave now, they'll be over when Christ returns for his people. Our brokenness, it'll be sent away forever on that day. And death will be completely powerless to stop our king. We'll be perfectly free and perfectly brave. And just as Christ has risen, so too do we who hope in his holy name have the full assurance that we will rise like him. So we'll see how the king, the true king, makes his people free and brave. Until that day, we pray verse 22 with the psalmist. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen.